You are Locked On SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yo, what's happening, everybody? Welcome in to the Locked On SEC Podcast. Great to have you along. Chris Gordy here with you on today's show. We're going to continue our preview of the SEC East this week. We did Georgia yesterday. Today we will go out to Florida, talk with Zach Abelverde from GatorsTerritory.com, get a full preview of the Florida Gators, who are expected to be one of the favorites. It's them and Georgia in the East this year, so we'll talk all things Gators with Zach. And we'll also head up to Columbia, Missouri, talk with Max Bakes. Max Baker, sports reporter for the Columbia Missourian. He covers the Missouri Tigers. Expectations high for the Gators. Expectations very low for the Mizzou Tigers this year. But nonetheless, we will uh, continue our SEC East preview. And a reminder, all next week we'll be previewing the SEC West here on the podcast. And then also just some tidbits from around the SEC as we do every day, including no Georgia tailgating. That's right. After Georgia said they were going to tailgate, no more tailgating. But be sure to subscribe and follow Locked on SEC for free wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, we are here five days a week. You'll get the latest episode of this podcast as soon as it comes out. Download it right to your phone. All you got to do is subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's jump right into it. Let's debut our new segment and go around the conference. Boots out to the right. Makes the handoff. Around the conference. I like that. We'll start with the Georgia Bulldogs. As we mentioned, no Georgia tailgating. Georgia said originally they were going to allow tailgating. Here's a statement the Georgia Athletic Association released today. Tailgating has been part of the game day tradition for home football games at Georgia for decades. However, due to the current pandemic, tailgating will not be permitted on campus this season. They go on to say it's a consistent approach taken by the other SEC schools, Alabama, Florida, LSU, Auburn, Ole Miss, all of them already said no tailgating this season. So Georgia says they realize some fans will be traveling long distance to come to the games. Remember, they are still allowing 20 to 25% capacity on the stadiums. So therefore, fans will be allowed to gather near their vehicle with family members or wherever they traveled with and plan to sit within the stadium. They said, please remember to maintain six feet social distancing, wear masks when around others who are not part of your group. Parking lots on campus will open three hours before kickoff. So what they don't want is the 20,000 people showing up on campus and starting, you know, the tailgate. They don't have tickets to the game. They're setting up the tent and getting the music going and all that kind of stuff. That's what they don't want. But if you're coming to the game, there's no reason why if it's you – your wife and your two kids, and you all have tickets together and you'll all live together. You come and you park in the parking lot. There's no reason why you can't set up a couple of lawn chairs right next to your car, eat some burgers or whatever, as long as you're planning to come into the, you know, if you're coming into the game. They just want to prevent the hordes of people coming. And I'm real interested to see how it's going to work because I think you're still going to have hordes of people trying to show up to come tailgate for SEC games. But nonetheless, no Georgia tailgating. Unless you're kind of coming to the game and you can just basically party with the people that you came with. The Florida Gators report six new COVID cases in the last week on their football team. Meanwhile, baseball and lacrosse athletic activities are halted due to more significant outbreaks. 61 positive cases now for Florida athletics in the last week. That is not great news. 
and we're trending in the wrong direction there. So here's hoping that at least as far as the football team, I know it, it, it seems, I guess what, kind of insensitive to say we hope nobody on the football team does, but let the soccer team get it. I, I don't want to say that at all. I don't want anybody to test positive, but you know, as long as the football team can keep their positives to a minimum, football will go on. I just wonder, though, what does Dan Mullen do if 30, 40 guys start testing positive in the next week as you're preparing to play your road, you know, your road opener at Ole Miss next week? Eek. We'll talk uh, with Zach Albaverde coming up in the next segment about that and get the latest on that. On the Kentucky side of things, on his weekly radio show last night, Kentucky head football coach Mark Stoops said he expects an answer on Joey Gatewood's waiver this week. We told you yesterday that uh, there was a report out of Kentucky saying that Joey Gatewood would be deemed eligible this season for Kentucky, but that they maybe had a gentleman's agreement, quote, agreement, quote unquote, with Auburn that they wouldn't play him week one. Look, Terry Wilson is the starting quarterback for Kentucky. I don't think Joey Gatewood would play against Auburn, but to have a gentleman's agreement, I think, is a little silly when it comes to 2020. Look, the guy's going to school and going to play football in another school. Like, let him be. A couple other things around the conference. Let's hear some audio. The Alabama Crimson Tide, Patrick Sertan, was asked about two of the new freshmen, Brian Branch and Malachi Moore. Um, I said improved in um, knowing the plays, knowing the adjustments, and you know, knowing concepts as well. You know, you know they got the uh, talent to cover and stuff. But I know developing the playbook habits and understanding the game consistently. You know, that's what they improved on. How about Coach O over at LSU asked about his quarterback Miles Brennan, basically saying Miles had to train on his own for a lot of this offseason due to the coronavirus. Yeah, you know, I, I do believe he's worked well on his own. I do believe with COVID-19 that that he did as much as he can do. I think that he and the receivers got together uh, off campus and threw the ball. So I think that uh, that work was getting done. Obviously, we felt like we were a little bit behind uh, coming into camp, but we have caught up. We've had some, some tremendous practices. We're ready. We have the full offense in, and I think he's ready to go. He's done a, he's done a great job. Steve is pleased with him. Uh, he's extending plays with his feet. He's seen, he's seen the field a lot better. Very accurate with his throws. Uh, he's had a good camp. And lastly, if you're Will Muschamp, what do you do with your quarterbacks if they both test positive for COVID? Well, Will Muschamp says we have a plan. We are separating our quarterbacks. Well, we're already doing that. Uh, we're making sure that those guys are in the meeting room, uh, in the locker room, uh, uh, none of the quarterbacks live together, so that as far as roommate concern, uh, there will be no issues there. So we've already we've already kind of done that. And that is around the conference. Great stuff uh, there with uh, the coaches talking and uh, bring you the latest news from around the SEC. Up next, previewing the Florida Gators with Zach Abelverde, GatorsTerritory.com. A quick minute here for our friends at Rock auto.com you know i had a uh unfortunate incident about a month and a half ago driving on the interstate and this big chunk of metal just in the middle of the road can't avoid it go right over it and sure enough had to get major repairs done on my car was in the shop for a couple weeks ended up getting the car back and there was this little small piece right next to my gear shift on my car missing i guess the mechanic shop in doing things and removing parts and all this they had to 
uh, replace or, or move this little part. Well, it was just this little hole. And I'm going, where am I going to find that? I didn't want to have to bring it back to the mechanic shop and all this. Literally went to rockauto.com, was able to find the piece. It was a real small part, only cost a handful of bucks, and I got it very quickly, was able to put it right back on my car, good as new. rockauto.com, see all the parts available for your car or truck, whatever you drive, and make sure you write locked on in their did you, how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. It's rockauto.com. Locked on SEC, rolling on here. Chris Gordy here with you, and super excited to catch up with this guy as we are going around the SEC East this week. We'll be touching on every SEC East school as we continue our preview leading up to the first week of SEC football games, a little over a week away. One team that has high hopes for the 2020 season are the Florida Gators. And joining us now to talk all things Florida is Zach Abelverde from the GatorsTerritory.com. Zach, what's going on, man? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? We're doing good, uh, all things considered, although I I guess it's a little bit of alarming when we see the headlines this morning that the Gators reported six new COVID cases in the last week on the football team, and they're having a, several dozen or so positive cases for Florida athletics. How concerning should that be for SEC fans? Uh, I mean, it depends on if you're a glass half full, glass half empty type person, because, I mean, it was... Obviously, I think the most alarming thing is the 68 total tests um, because that's the whole number of the student-athletes at UF right now, and that's more than nine times the amount that they put out last week for the first, you know, I think month or, or excuse me, first week or so of September. So they were only at seven total tests for all their student-athletes and just one on the football team. Now they have seven on the football team, but they have 68 among all their athletes. And 30 on the lacrosse, I think 30 or 31 on the lacrosse team, 15 in baseball, and then they had three in soccer that caused them to cancel the season opener. So that, that to me, are obviously the, the most alarming numbers, and you knew once students came back to campus that there were going to be spikes as it was going to happen. If you're looking at it from the football team, obviously you don't want any cases, um, but you know, if you think of the uh, 85-man roster and then all the walk-ons that Florida have, there are over 100 guys, to have seven positives at this time and you look at the lacrosse team and they have 30 players that have uh, positive COVID tests right now, which is more than half their roster, I mean, the one takeaway that you can take from that is that the, the football team is at least doing a better job seemingly on campus of – trying to be disciplined, trying to follow the protocols. You know, as Mullen has kind of said throughout fall camp, that there's going to be some tests and some guys that, that come up positive, but they just want to keep those numbers down. Now, obviously, you can't – if they jump from 6, 7 to uh, obviously double digits and they get in the 20s and 30s, that's going to be a much bigger concern. Uh, and I think hopefully this week for, this play, for the players will be a wake-up call. Uh, is it – do you think, I mean, just your opinion, do you think we get to a point where they have to shut everything down? I mean, I, I don't even know what you would do with Florida here set to start their season against Ole Miss you know, a week from Saturday. Um, I, I mean, mean, would they I would they shut it down? Think, I, I don't think Florida will. I mean, I and I and I can't speak for other teams, but I just the way that they've been able to handle this uh, COVID situation throughout, and I know it is different now because of the students, but I mean, they 
I, I think have the resources, maybe the, the the amount of coaches and the structure and the discipline to, to pull this off. I mean, they're going to have some weeks where there might be guys out and there might be starters out, uh, but that's going to be everybody. And that's going to be all across college football all season long. So it's not specific to Florida, but I don't even think that, you know, I mean, I think it would take a significant number of players that were positive and or in quarantine and weren't available for any team to be able to actually have to cancel a game. I mean, we saw Georgia uh, State or Georgia Southern, it was, last week had like 33 players out and they still had a game. Right. So um, I don't think Florida's at that point. I don't think, you know, hopefully they'll get anywhere near it this year. Well, let's uh, let's proceed with the actual football talk because that's what we're all excited about and ready to, to discuss. Uh, on the football field, how much of an impact player – uh, should we expect their their wide receiver transfer Justin Shorter to be this year? We just just got eligible a couple of days ago. We know they already have a really talented receiving core, but how much of an impact can Shorter make? Well, obviously, you know you're replacing four senior guys at the wideout position that are now in the NFL, and I, I think that that type of production, that group, along with some of the guys they returned, and that was one of the best wide, wide receiving corps in school history. Um, they had some great ones, so. There's some big shoes to fill, a lot to live up to. Uh, there's some guys, obviously, that have been there a while and have, you know, much more proven. That'll be more of the guys I think that Kyle Trask counts on and, and goes to. Uh, but having said that, you know, Shorter's already gotten praised in camp for Mullen for kind of being uh, a little bit of a leader uh, and somewhat more of a veteran guy, even though he still hasn't gotten a lot of college experience. But he's been through it once at Penn State. And because of those losses with the seniors, I mean, he's already in a situation where he can be working with the second team unit. The amount of wide receivers that uh, position coach Billy Gonzalez likes to rotate, he's going to get those opportunities this year. And being six four, you know, probably at this point he's around two thirty. He was two twenty six at Penn State. That's a big frame and a weapon that you can use out wide. And I, I think that. Gonzalez and Mullen will find ways to, to use him. I you know I don't think he's going to make a huge impact per se, but I think he will have an impact and contribute. Um, but they still got some guys, obviously like Trevon Grimes and uh, Jacob Copeland, Kadarius Tony, that are going to be you know definitely more of the starting roles. And then you'll have guys certainly like Shorter and Rick Wells uh, and some of the freshmen that they're excited about that can contribute there too. Uh, expectations for Kyle Trask this year. I mean, it's a senior year, and, and look, I know a lot of people were impressed with how he performed last year, You know, particularly some hostile environments, had a really good game in Baton Rouge against LSU. Um, you know, Some people have made the comparisons. Could he make a Joe Burrow-like leap? I think that's a little bit maybe too much of an unfair uh, comparison or standard to hold him to, but how good can Kyle Trask be this year? Yeah, well, he doesn't have a different coordinator, so I mean – Someone making that type of leap and improvement has to be in that situation Burrow was in. But I think that with a full offseason now that he has been the guy, everyone at Florida knows that he's a starter, even though this is still uh, a situation where Emory Jones is going to get snaps and be involved at quarterback. This is Kyle Trask's team, and he's gotten all kinds of compliments at camp. I mean, from coaches, from players. What you would expect more of the leadership stuff that, that, that kind of comes from guys that are uh, been on camp. He's been on campus since 2016, so 
he's been around the block. He's able to lead this team, and now that he's played and, and got the experience, but it's really what he's doing on the field that's kind of made the difference. Uh, you know, according to uh, quarterback coach Brian Johnson and Mullen, they say he's basically on the graduate level stuff, and just the way that he's kind of understanding the offense and how he reads things pre-snap and all the stuff that he was just green to last year. He now has that year of experience under his belt, and he has everybody on the team looking to him as the leader. So uh, you put all that with Dan Mullen coaching him and a really good offense and still a lot of weapons that he has to go to, and, and the number one on that list being Kyle Pitts. I, I mean, I thought going into a full year, he would certainly be in a situation where he could throw for over 3,000 yards. He was right under it last year, and he only started in 10 games. So, uh, you know, I think that, hey, I mean, they got a 10-game schedule. If they get all those games in, if they can make it to Atlanta and and possibly beyond that, he could throw for 3,000 yards, I think, this year. Um, but more importantly, it's just about operating the offense a little bit better and just improving on all the things that, that he kind of worked on in the offseason. Talking with Zach Abelverde, GatorsTerritory.com. Year three of Todd Grantham running the defense. Uh, what can we expect out of the D this year? I think what you always uh, get, fast, physical, and aggressive. That's his motto. And even though you lost some really key players from last year's unit, like C.J. Henderson, uh, Jonathan Grenard, who led the SEC in sacks, um, who was a first-team All-SEC selection, You've got a guy right behind him coming in who's expected to play the buck position, although he'll, he'll move around in a lot of different spots. But Brenton Cox, the former five-star recruit from Georgia, coming in to play that spot that's, you know, obviously Grantham is made really famous and he's produced with so many guys like Renard and Jekai Polite. I mean, there's talk out of Gainesville that he might be the best defender that they've had since Grantham's been in Gainesville. And there's a reason why he's wearing number one which is a really coveted number in, in Gainesville and kind of in the UF tradition here, and he hasn't even played a snap at Florida. So that says a lot about him, and you able to have someone step in and take over for Grenard, that, that's really huge. Uh, and it's a you know, credit to kind of how they've recruited and built that roster. And then on the back end, you lose a guy like C.J. Henderson, but you have Kyer Elam, Marco Wilson coming back at corner, and they got a lot of depth and options in the secondary, and especially at safety. So – I'm I'm really excited about uh, some of the new pieces as well. You know, Mahmoud Diabate, who's a guy that came on late for Florida last year, uh, kind of playing more of an edge role. He's going to be uh, at middle linebacker this year. So I'm looking at what he can do p- potentially with Ventrell Miller because they got to de- replace David Reese as well, who was their senior middle linebacker, kind of the heart and soul of the defense. Um, so – uh, there's a lot of new faces, uh, or not a lot of new faces, but definitely some in that starting lineup, but I still expect them to be playing at a really high level, and a lot of those guys have been in Grantham's scheme for a couple of years, too. Last thing, Zach, uh, the schedule. Uh, look, you, you add a game at Texas A&M going to College Station, not what you want, but hey, look, not not a sold-out capacity crowd, so maybe it works a little bit in the Gators' favor. Just overall thoughts on the schedule, and what do you make of that December 5th trip to end the season at, to Knoxville where uh, it very well likely could be snowing to finish the season for the, for the Gators? I hope it is, man. I, I mean, I'm sure the players don't, uh, but I think a snow game against Tennessee – would be such a cool chapter to that rivalry, and and I and I'm probably I'm only going to make the Ole Miss trip at this time. That's the only game I'm planning to go to, just because it's the season opener. We're not going to get 
media access post game. Everything's going to be on Zoom, so it really makes no sense to go. But if it's going to snow in Knoxville, I might just go just to be there for it. Um, I'm definitely that, that's one of the most intriguing storylines about Florida's schedule. Very reminiscent of certainly the 2001 season when Florida Tennessee got moved to the end of the year because of 9/11, and Gators lost at home to the Vols, and that cost them a national championship. So could hey could the Vols maybe potentially ruin a championship season for Florida this year? Well, we'll have to find out. Um, I mean, they are ranked in the top 15, so I, that's going to be a big matchup. Obviously, all the other ones that have been on Florida's uh, slate, Georgia, LSU, but I think that Texas A&M game that you mentioned is will really be when we find out about this team and, and what they're about. I mean, they should be able to, to beat Ole Miss, especially with a new coaching staff, and they had a bunch of guys out for one of their scrimmages uh, in camp, so... Florida should be able to win that game, but going to Texas A&M, even without the crowd, that, that's going to be a tough test uh, for the Gators. Zach, let our listeners know where they can uh, find your stuff. Yeah, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Zach Albaverde, uh, A-B-O-L-B-E-R-D-I, and all my work at GatorsTerritory.com on the Rivals Network. Corey Bender and Joseph Hastings, they cover all the recruiting for us. Uh, and, you know, this is obviously a, a fun time right now with season around the corner, and Florida's class is pretty much – full for this recruiting cycle but uh as you know recruiting never stops so we got a lot of stuff that we're kind of tracking down at the site zach great stuff man thanks so much for the time absolutely Bob. all right zach abelverde there gators territory.com we're going to keep this train rolling as we continue to preview the sec east this week next up we will go up to columbia missouri talk with max baker sports reporter for the columbia missourian up there find out about the missouri tigers Rolling on here on the Locked On SEC podcast. Again, continue to preview the SEC East all week long. You do not want to miss an episode. Make sure you're listening to every episode dropping this week as we go around the SEC East. Next week, we will go around the SEC West. But today, we stop off in Columbia, Missouri to catch up with Max Baker, sports reporter for the Columbia Missourian, to get some thoughts on the Missouri Tigers. Max, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm doing good, man. We are uh, counting down the days to SEC football, and that's always a good thing. There were times this year where we thought we wouldn't get here. Uh, a week from Saturday, the Eliah Drinkwitz era begins at Mizzou. It's not going to be easy playing host to Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide, but uh, my first question to you is how ready is this team for the start of the SEC season? Well, I mean – for one thing, I wouldn't say, you know, there's, there's not a lot to be known. Eli Drinkwitz hasn't released um, a depth chart of any sort. You don't know who the starting quarterback is. And, you know, with the, the loss of spring practice and, you know, limited summer and fall camp, you know, it was, you know, less time than normal to learn a whole new offense. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know that there really is a way to know how ready they will be until they kick off, considering, you know, we don't even know who the, if it's going to be Sean Robinson or Connor Bazelak at quarterback. Um, but, you know, from what you know, from what he says, you know, it sounds like, you know, they're putting things together. They were a little, you know, rusty at putting the offense together at the beginning. But from what he says, um, it sounds like you know, it's, it sounds like they're you know piecing things together. Even though you know, this is like a sort of rebuilding type year. We saw some of that that high powered offense that he ran at App State last year. What do you think? I mean, are we going to see semblances of that again? Different personnel and all that, different school. But I, I got to think the playbook's not going to change a whole lot, right? 
Yeah, no, I mean, with a, he brought a lot of his coaching staff back from App State, and he, you know, he was the offensive coordinator at App State. He said the offense was going to be more of like a pro tempo. It's sort of like a pro style offense with like a college tempo. I think is the way he described it. Um, like pro tempo, and that's how the offense is going to run. I, I think it'll be very similar to what you saw at App State. Obviously, different personnel, different quarterback, different, you know, all different players. Um, but he kept a lot of the same coaches, and he's going to be the offensive coordinator like he did at um, App State as well as the head coach. So I think it'll be very similar to what we saw at App State. Will the running back Larry Roundtree be the best player on the offense this year? Um, I think he'll he kind of ha- probably will have to be. I don't know that he. You know, I'm I'm not so sure that that's going to be that'll probably be the name that most people remember. But the wide receiver core they got um, Damon Hazelton, who hasn't been healthy much of fall camp. Um, he's a kind of an X factor. He was a transfer from Virginia Tech. They went Drinkwitz said they wanted a touchdown maker. They went out and got him. Um, so he could be he could be up there. Kiki Chisholm is sort of another unknown, another transfer from uh, I forget where. I'm Angelo State. That's where it was. Angelo State, um, you know, there's not a lot known about Kiki Chisholm, but we've heard good things from Trinkwitz and Camp, um, and other players have raved about him. So, I mean, yeah, I think Larry Roundtree is probably a safe bet to say he might be one of the more dominant players for Missouri on the offensive side of the ball. But, I, you know, there are definitely other players on the offense that could definitely surprise some people. Over on the defensive side of the ball, new defensive coordinator Ryan Walters uh, I got to think they're going to lean heavily on their stud linebacker Nick Bolton, who you know, 100 tackles last year. The guy just seems like a, a star in the making. Yeah, I I think from yeah I, I I think you you have you nailed that one. I mean like he's yeah he's he, he'll probably set up one of the linebacker spots. The second linebacker spot, which was Kill Garrett for about five or six games last year before the injury, is sort of unknown. I think you might see a mixture of Devin Nicholson. Um, Jamal Brooks. There'll be there'll be a few guys. Aubrey Miller. You'll see a few guys rotate in that. That's the bigger question mark on that defense. There's a lot of younger guys that may have to step in. With um, they lost, I think a transfer Christian Holmes in the secondary. Um, there's going to be a lot of new players on the defensive end of the ball. That you know that was sort of Missouri's strength last year for a little bit was their defense. But um, I, I I think that you know you're going to see a lot of new names pop out. While you'll also see Nick Bolton continue to be the player he is. I know I saw a few players have entered the, the transfer portal the last few days, quarterback Taylor Powell and running back Nick Collins. Uh, any reason for guys to be transferring this late in the game with the season right around the corner? You know, we don't, you know, we don't, it would only be speculation because, you know, we didn't get any information as to why they transferred yet. Um, my guess would be the quarterback competition was a three-man competition and Taylor Powell's entering his redshirt junior season, I believe. Yeah, redshirt junior season. And I my guess is that he wasn't going to, win that battle um and then nick collins i he i don't believe he was on scholarship for the team so i don't think i don't you know i think he's just looking to maybe get some playing time elsewhere um would be my guess obviously i have no idea for either of the two but that would be my, my guess i don't i don't i think it's probably pretty normal um that they would have a couple guys into the transfer portal with such like a unique season um but no i don't i don't know exactly why um they did so themselves Talking with Max Baker, sports reporter for the Columbia Missourian, covering the Missouri Tigers. What is the latest on fans in the stands? I saw your tweet today that the school announced uh, students can can buy twenty dollars tickets for home games, and they're going to space them out. You got to wear a mask, but uh, what are you expecting fan attendance this season? Yeah, I think they're targeting around the twenty to twenty five percent range for fans in the stands of, of what it would normally be. Um, I think, you know, you saw my tweet, I think, you know, there'll be masks, there'll be 
students will be allowed to sit in different sections, but they won't. It'll be around ten to eleven percent. So it'll mainly be um, season ticket holders um, from past years that'll get in, um, and other sort of fans um, in the stadium. I don't know. You know, they haven't released their full guidelines as far as how it's going to work, but it, it'll be somewhere at where around twenty to twenty-five percent would be my best guess. They said twenty-five was the most. Um, and yeah, students will be students will be there. They can sit in groups of two, four, six, eight, um, but they have to like spread out, and there'll be different seats marked as to where you can sit, which will be interesting. I got to thank Coach Drinkwitz uh, of all years to eliminate non-conference games. I mean, he's got to be pretty upset over that to go conference only because I'm looking at the schedule. Obviously, you know, look, everybody's playing the 10 games in conference, but when I see six of the first seven games are against top 25 teams, uh, <laughs> man, that is uh, quite a hard feat to ask on a on a team with a new coaching staff. No, it, yeah, no, it, obviously this is not – this is an awakening for Eli Drinkwitz in the SEC. Um, but, you know, I don't think many – Fans are going to really judge this season based on how well the team does. I mean, if you go, you know, if they go zero and ten, or they go ten and zero. Obviously, there'll be some judgments made. But I think, you know, no matter what happens, it's been a unique season. The offense hasn't really gotten a chance to learn the scheme, the the installment, and I just, I just think that this is sort of a year for him to set the groundwork for the next few years in terms of his recruiting, because I think the recruiting class is one of the best in the SEC East for twenty twenty one. But I don't. You know, so I don't think that much is going to be made of this year, no matter what happens. But it, but it is yes, it is it is quite the awakening to not to start with Alabama at home in your first game with twenty five percent fans ish. <laughs> I lo- I look at the four unranked teams they play Vanderbilt and then the last three of the season South Carolina, Arkansas, Mississippi State. If they win all of those four and six, is that is that considered a good start for uh, for Drinkwitz? I think so. I don't know that you would you could really ask anything more of a guy inheriting that this team and the team that went six and six last year, I, I don't think you could really, you, you can really say you expect to have a winning season with this schedule and, you know, what with the time that they're in. But, you know, again, I don't, you know, I don't know that there are most programs. I don't think he would say four and six is a success. So I don't, you know, I don't think, I just don't think much is going to be made off of this year either way, no matter what happens as, you know, as this whole thing develops. I'm curious your thoughts on Barry Odom, um, you know, because obviously he's a guy that uh, it was a homecoming to come back there and coach at, at Mizzou. It didn't work out, but now he stays in the conference and he's the defensive coordinator over at Arkansas. Is that game maybe, I guess, how do fans perceive it? Is that one that they feel like, man, we better beat Arkansas and stick it to Barry Odom, or do they still respect him and his time here just didn't work out? I think I think it's more the latter. I don't, you know, I think, they sort of created the Mizzou Arkansas rivalry game, even though it's not really much of a rivalry in um, any sense of the you know way you put it. But yeah, I think I think there sort of has become a little bit of more of a rivalry since Odom left and went to Arkansas. But I don't think it's a uh, you know in spite of Odom, I think it's just more like they're sort of going after the similar type of recruits that Mizzou is, and you know the there's just been you know some players at the end of last year ended up decommitting from Mizzou and went to Arkansas. I can't remember off the top of my head which player it was, but there were a couple, and I knew that had some fans sort of riled up. But I don't think it would be in spite of Odom. I just think it would be an interesting game because, you know, the proximity and what what's ha- both teams are sort of trying to make, make that next step into becoming a, you know, a, a good level, you know, good tier team. 
what's the fans expectation for next Saturday is it just let's not get murdered by Alabama let's see if we could stay in it for a half I mean what what's the realistic expectations for people next week I you know I don't know that there are really realistic expectations my guess is that you know, I you know it doesn't really. It's so hard to put into words, but what a realistic expectation of a Mizzou Alabama Week One game is in a coach's <laughs> first season. So I, you know, I don't know that you're really going to be able to say you're able to gauge what the expectation is. I don't think the expectation is that they are going to win. Um, I don't think the expectation is that it's really going to be all that close. But I think they're just looking for something to, that they can like build off of for the future. Would be my guess. But obviously, you know, there are some. Fans out there who are expecting to probably win this game, so you know there's you know there's different people out there, but I would say that you know as a as an entire fan base, no, it would not be to win. It would probably just to build off it and move toward the future, and hopefully by the end of the year they'll have something to work with for. 2021. Yeah, the folks in the desert seem to like Alabama by 21 and a half, so that's a pretty large number there. It will be a nationally televised game a 6 o'clock start next Saturday on ESPN, so I know a lot of us, look, we are so excited for SEC football to be back, and man, let's hope we can get through this, do it the the safe way and uh, play an entire season, and uh, hopefully we'll all be Back to some bit of normalcy going into uh, next year. He is Max Baker, sports reporter for the Columbia, Missouri. And Max, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And good luck going forward. I'm excited. You know, there's going to be a season. Awesome. Thanks so much, Matt. Max Baker there. You can follow him on Twitter at Max Baker underscore 15, covering the uh, Missouri Tigers and really appreciate him taking some time as we continue our SEC East preview here on the Locked on SEC podcast. That is just about going to do it for us today. My thanks to all of our guests who joined us here on the Locked On SEC podcast. Zach Abelverde, GatorsTerritory.com. Max Baker, sports reporter for the Columbia, Missouri. And we will continue our preview of the SEC East as we roll along this week. Tomorrow we will go out to Knoxville, talk with Josh Ward, who hosts the Locked On Vols podcast, get his thoughts on the Tennessee Volunteers. we still got Kentucky to do. we got a whole lot more schools to cover this week as we continue to cover the SEC East. And then a reminder, next week we'll go inside the SEC West. That is just about it for me, Chris Gordy. Remember, if you haven't done so, be sure to subscribe, follow this podcast, Locked on SEC, wherever you find your podcast. Remember, we are here five days a week bringing you all the latest news from around the SEC. You can get it as soon as it's available every single day. And by the way, you can check out our buddy Josh Ward, who we mentioned, the Locked on Vols podcast. If you want a little primer before we have him here on the Locked on SEC podcast. Y'all have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you.